The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is... Let's see. <laughs> you going to put the pressure on? <laughs> I'm putting the pressure on. I'm putting the pressure on. What was, the, what was the, the name that we had this last week? Hulu. Hulu. <laughs> Did you come up with that one or was that someone? I, like- I came up with that one. I don't think we used it, but I know we shouted it out. Hulu? We were just kind of coming up with some weird ones. There's somebody else that said something that I totally, totally forgot about. Sword Art on Lou? So, what? Sword Art on Lou instead on of online. Lou. <laughs> or you could just said on Lou. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. There's a, there's a couple of funny ones that people put in on the Discord. So anyway, I think we'll take this time to pitch our Discord. Um, Mixing Music has this podcast. We have a Discord um, and that Discord you can find on mixingmusicpodcast.com. Join in our Discord. Discord is basically an awesome online text-based community. Uh, it's really great that you could chat with other people, instant message with other people. And we're really, really grateful for anybody that's in right now. We have about 550 other producers, engineers, artists right now at the time that as we're recording this episode. Um, you can find the link to join in the secret club at mixingmusicpodcast.com. Also, Lou and I are live right now on Twitch as we record every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That is 2 p.m. in California, L.A. time. And we are live on Twitch right now. We do that 2 p.m. every week. And we're really grateful for anybody that's hanging out with us right now. We see a lot of awesome people in the chat. Mix Medic is here. Noah is here. Noah Avery is here. We have Greener on the other side, a bunch of shout-out, BeatBoy, underscore K, uh, Odriz, a lot of, of shout-outs here from people that are, are watching the stream right now and commenting as we kind of go along. But today we wanted to talk about um, something that one of our commenters brought up during the stream, which was uh, the importance of consistency in a mix. Um, the original question was kind of surrounding around how do we uh, keep mixes sounding more consistent? And I think that I wanted to change the topic instead to be less about how to make things more consistent from mix to mix, but rather the importance of allowing the songs and the mixes to be different from mix to mix. Because I think even if you listen, if, if you've ever sat down and listened to uh, an engineer's discography, 
Like, right. If, so if you go down and listen to Manny Mariquin's discography, all of his stuff sounds really great, but even within the same album, from song to song, there's differences. And I think that that's what's beautiful. From artist to artist, there's differences. From genre to genre, category, whatever, different categories, there's always differences between mixes. And I think that's what makes mixes beautiful. Uh, a part of this argument that I've said in the past is that a lot of mixes, a lot of songs, um, you can hear by the production and the recording. Um, the recording engineer does have a lot of influence in this. The song has a sound that it wants to get to. And oftentimes I feel that, yes, I'm manipulating the way that I would, but part of it is me just helping to get the song where it already wants to go. So let's talk a little bit about that. Lou, I know that you do a lot of mastering recently. Yeah. And so you hear a lot of um, songs done by different engineers, mixed by different engineers. Um, what is your opinion on consistency versus differences uh, for specifically mixing? Mixing. Uh, well, honestly, if I had to say there was any kind of consistency to look forward to, it's understanding how to get a mix to translate and to not have anything that really stands out too much. Uh, for instance, like, uh, I'll get a mix from Bob Horn. Bob Horn has really, really good tight mixes and everything. Um, and you know, he'll send me a hip hop track one day with like hard hitting 808s. He'll send me some pretty top endy kind of hi-hats. But it's nothing piercing. It's nothing boxing. It's never anything that's cloudy in the low end. But then the next day, he'll send me like a rock mix. And the same thing can be said about that. The style of mixing is completely different. The overall tonal differences between one or the other is very different. Like in rock, it's a lot of mid-range uh, and less about the low end. But the clarity consistency is what I'll get from him. You know what I mean? And then I have other mixers where, you know, they'll send me 10 different songs. I'll mix an album for them and they'll have different feature artists, but all of them sound the same. But because of that, you kind of lose interest in it. There's no difference. There's nothing to pinpoint like, oh, I like this song because of this. Oh, this one, I like how the snare sounds a little bit more this and that. But those differences is what keeps the listener you know, interested. And as the guy that's mastering like an album or an EP at a time, um, it'd be really sad to be bored of the album on the first listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that there's also, if this, if consistency was important, they wouldn't hire 10 different mixing engineers to work on the same album. Yeah. And even then they wouldn't have 10 different engineers compete on a single for a big artist. They'd just be like, well, that guy's always got the same sound every single time. So we're just going to choose that one. So now we're talking about consistency between, so, or the differences between each engineer. Yeah. But, so originally I was thinking about um, how it's important as a single engineer to have, or to at least consider and try different sounds. But you're talking about the importance of different engineers between the differences between the engineers, which is also valuable, I think as well. Yeah. So let's, let's go a little bit further deeper into that. Um, so each engineer does sound different. And I think that there's a balance because every mixer will have their own sound. Um, uh, some mixers I would like to call more new school or new age mixing, which is brighter, less mid range focus, more low end and more top end. You can usually tell the, the younger mixers by not just their genres that they specialize in, um, but the, their t use of top end is usually different. Like the younger people tend to have more top end um, versus some more uh, classic cats will be uh, a little bit darker and warmer and more like mid-range focused. Um, I don't think that one is better than the other, but I think that there's like a cultural genre shift 
happening there. Um, and I definitely think that I really like how you put with Bob, there was, there's, although the mixes and the genres and the tonal spectrum is, is generally different. The tone balance is generally different, but what's consistent is the clarity. Yeah. The quality of the mix itself is what's consistent, not the mix itself. So even the point of saying like the vocals could have probably been different. One was probably brighter than the other. Yeah, honestly, like uh, just like you, a lot of times when I'm mastering for Bob, it's all about micro changes. Those micro changes are really just presence changes, but they're not like, oh, there's too much of this or there's not enough of that. Usually his mixes are on point all the way. They just might need a tiny little touch, if anything. And that's kind of the, the good thing. Like a mastering engineer many times over is more about getting the record to translate, not about reinventing the mix. So you know when you're dealing with a quality engineer when there's consistency behind their quality rather than you having to consistently correct something in their mix. Yeah. And and so I think that that's going and, – and as well as when you're mastering, you're listening to a lot of mixes, which is really interesting because I don't hear – I do listen to a lot of mixes uh, partially from people who show up to the Friday morning streams um, and do Mix Feedback Friday where I get to give feedback. We do feedback – you can also do mix feedback from mixingmusicpodcast.com. Um, but we do give a lot of feedback to mixes on various different occasions there. Um, but one of the things that we've also talked about is, or I personally don't really listen to other mix engineers other than the finished product, right? Um, and I do hear a lot of like demo mixes from the recording engineers or from producers and various things. And then it's my job to kind of transform them. Um, it's really interesting to hear the similarities between mixes from the same engineer, like the recording engineer or producer. For example, um, one of the mixes that we just finished recently was for Gavin. Like Gavin has a very specific type of sound vibe that he's going to, especially with the artist that he's working on, his wife, Nicole. And they have specific tones that they kind of go for, and they're pretty consistent on their end. And I try to be consistent on their end too. But even the three initial songs that I did for them, each one sounds a little bit different. Now, I think partially it's because I was in a different mindset or maybe I had different speakers or whatever, maybe some different equipment, different room. I, I don't think that was as much it. I think it was just the arrangement had a huge effect on my mixing as well. And we've said this time and time again, the importance of arrangement. And it's very difficult for a mix to be really, really solid and clear um, with without good arranging abilities as well. So going back to Lou... Um, what are some secrets that you've seen to help these help mix engineers stay consistently, we'll say clear, the clarity, to keep that clarity consistently? What are some things that you've seen? Send the mix back. How do you? If it doesn't sound good, send it back. A lot of times people think that you can correct it in the master, and that's not really the case. You can no, do no, a no, lot no, of no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Let me, let me rephrase the question. I okay. think we're misunderstanding. Um, how what similarities have you seen like traits similar okay. traits that you've seen between mixes uh, mid-range kind of, and darker top end uh reason being is that many times over in like hip-hop r&b everybody wants like bright hats or they want their really bright reverbs like a lot of people perceive top end to be kind of a clarity factor but you'll notice that a lot of these engineers that actually have really good mixes have smooth top end but it's because Instead of boosting the top end on every track, assuming that it's going to help with the clarity, because, you know, that's how we are. The human ear thinks that clarity comes from top end. It's just a natural, you know, 
I guess, reaction. But the reality is it's about leaving the real estate in the top end available to that which needs it. If you notice, like, a lot of great hip-hop mixes actually don't have, like, a lot of bright instrumentation behind it. They leave the brightness for the vocals. And because of that, they don't actually have to boost the brightness in the vocals much. Other than um, trap hats. Trap hats are freaking yeah, bright all the time. Exactly. But that's because they want them forward in the mix. And a lot of times people assume that if it's brighter, it sounds a little more in your face. And because of that, they'll put everything in their face. But... You need depth. You need to find pockets for everything to exist in. For instance, like low end, you'll hear a lot of like uh, trap records where the vocals are cut below like 180 hertz. Uh, not because that's where you should cut every time, but they're trying to find ways to get the 808, the kick, and all those low frequency information instruments to really have their own pocket in that range. But I've noticed that, like, when, uh, you know, I've gotten, uh, like, aphrodisiac when I mastered that for you, there's so much going on that everything needs to have its pocket. So some of the instruments, I could tell that there was a lot of filtering going on because it couldn't clash with something else that was right next to it in the similar spacing. A lot of times you'll see people uh, looking for ways to um, get the mix to translate better in stereo, so they'll pan things out. But when you listen to it in mono, when you're doing like the vinyl limiting and everything to see if anything that was done in mastering affected it more, um, you'll find that sometimes just adding more to the mid-range will also make it clash on its own. So oversaturation is kind of a thing. I know we talked about uh, saturation and clipping with Bob, right? Like how to get the song to hit a little bit harder, limiters and all that stuff. And he was talking about just clipping the transient was helping him make the mix. And the funny thing is Bob will turn in a mix for mastering at like minus seven loofs and it sounds like it's got all the headroom in the world yeah he does he does deliver mixes really loud anyway yeah. um so i think there's a couple things i want to bring out or talk about that you said which is i do want to and emphasize this as well clarify on this um you said a darker top end it doesn't mean that better mixes have less top end no they're it's warmer. Just it, it means that space. there's i like the way that you explained it yeah there's there's real estate. There's You think about the real estate in the top end and how much space there is up there. If everything's bright, because it is true, when things are brighter, it feels more high fidelity. Yeah. You know, it feels more hi-fi to the average listener. And even to us, it feels more clear. Um, but I don't think that that's the solution to make everything bright because I've also heard a lot of mixes that could have been much better if things were darker. And I'm not saying that your mixes have mm -hmm. to be dark, but I'm saying that um, there's a lot of clarity that can be added without over like without making the top end harsh so thinking about and in general i think i like that idea process i'm going to keep going with that which is thinking about the real estate of frequencies like you only have for example guitars and pianos are all in the same like usually in the same lower mids to mid-range kind of kind of information and then let's say you want to stack on some synths and then oh, some man. organ, and oh, then man. you want to do some Mellotron, and oh, then you want to do some Wurlitzer. Oh. It's, it's, this, you're just like, you're just asking for a muddy mix. We haven't yeah. even gotten to the EQ thing. Like, how would you, yeah. I cannot conceive how you would EQ all of those instruments to potentially even sound good at any point, you know, without absolutely demolishing the original tones of, of the, the song, which it goes, comes back to, again, the arrangement, how important the arrangement is. I think a really good producer or recording engineer or, or yeah, producer, songwriter, artist will take the time to think about the mix before getting to the mix, before thinking about the mix. Um, for like, again, going back to that, like if you have, you don't need to stack a guitar 20 times along with an acoustic piano, along with a Wurlitzer, along with an organ, along with a synth pad. Like 
sonically, it makes no sense. Now, unless it's absolutely vital to the arrangement of the song. Exactly. Um, but I know a lot of these producers, because I'm victim of this. I, I'm, I've caught myself doing this a lot as well. I, when I'm writing songs and producing, I'll layer stuff just to layer stuff because I think it makes it thicker. And, and then it's too thick. I wouldn't even use the word thick. It's just muddy. It like you like, ever like work on a song, listen to it the next morning. You're like, what was I thinking? Yeah, no. Ex- yeah. And that definitely has happened for yeah. sure. And I think that that's something that we should all be avoiding as well. When we're writing songs, um, I think it, the mix has to start with the arrangement, with the songwriting, with the, you know, talking about sections as well, like from chorus to verse. I think the one reason why I find myself automating uh, tracks a lot less in hip hop is because usually the kick drum in the chorus versus the verse is a totally different sample. Like they're yep. on different tracks. There's a chorus kick and a verse kick. It is a pretty common thing to see. And if that's the case, I don't need to automate anything. But if you're in a rock band, you got the same drum kit. And in the chorus, the only thing that you could do is play louder, which. <laughs> yeah, if you play harder, you do change the fundamental note. Yeah, and, and then that way, so again, like it comes back down to automation is extremely important to letting things breathe and calm down. Um, so, but going back to the original idea of consistencies in mixes and then similarities, differences in mixes as well. Um, I mean, Lou, you've heard a lot of my mixes. Um, yeah. There are some, do you think I have a sonic character, a tone that I impart? And also, have you seen a lot of differences between mix to mix? Yes. I don't you know if you were you looking. Okay. On that? Yeah, you want to expand okay. on that? Uh, part of that was a quick answer because, yeah, I've heard your mixes and I've heard your <laughs> mixes for the last year and a half. Uh, and that sounds like a long time, but it's also not, if you think about it. A year and a half in somebody's career isn't really a long time, but it's a long time when you think about how far your sound can change. Um, for instance, like you've more recently been doing more automation, both on effects and on uh, vocals and instrumentation. That I could pick out from before and after. Um, in the last not, year and a half. In the last year and a half, yeah. In the last year and a half, uh, you've also gone through three sets of monitors, ATCs, PMCs, and Strauss. And actually the Callies too, so four. But in that same sense, you've also managed to keep the vocals being the forward uh, element in your mixes. Um, the 808s and kicks will always hit hard. You're very percussion forward. Um, pads and synths and things of that nature tend to sit further in the back. So I don't know if you're filtering out more or doing fast compression on that with slow release to push them further in the back. But so there are you character have, personalities. Yeah, person. you have a depth difference that is led by vocals and percussion. But the consistency is that. But it's not consistency in tones. It's in the elements placement in the mix, which I've known for you is all about placement in the mix. That's interesting. That's interesting. Can you talk more about this? Because I myself have not really. I here, yeah. Keep going. We're, Sorry. we're what do, all what do you our mean worst own judge because we don't know how to judge our own stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm we, trying to think. Well, what, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What do you mean by that? Um, placement in the mix to me is very typical for somebody who will OCD over like aesthetics. Uh, for instance, um, if your hi hat is completely left, it just feels really weird. But your <laughs> oh, so hi hat, like panning, no panning, uh, front to back depth and things of that nature. Because okay, okay. uh, if you got, I always tell people if you're gonna mix a song or write a song, you got to be able to visualize it. Outside of that, mm-hmm. it's just this flat 
mix that has no life to it or character. Um, you have a very uh, 3D uh, positioning of your mix in the sense that you like your percussion to hit hard. So because of that, you leave the transient in your percussion. Um, your vocals tend to have uh, a lot of parallel compression going on, or at least that's what it sounds like because they tend to sit consistently in the center, but forward without going too forward or having too much transient pushing it even further forward. Um, your low end tends to be pretty well spaced out in the sense that there's not a lot of things going on in the low end, so it actually takes up all that low end real estate, making it sound more forward, even if it doesn't hit as hard as the kick does. So, so I think this is a really good point to talk about where in the last year and a half, you've seen a lot of changes. And whether yeah. or not it's progress is, is debatable, right? I think it's progress. It's but more it does, like that's, adaptions. That's like, that's like uh, the... That's kind of subjective, but you have seen also consistencies, things that I prefer, which is really, this is the thing that I think that we wanted to get to for this episode. Character of the mixer. Yeah, the character of the mixer, you'll find some consistencies, but the consistencies is not necessarily the tonal balance, you know, the tonal spectrum between songs, the top end versus the low end versus the mid range. I think that for sure my sonic character is drums, transient and vocal forward, mm -hmm. um, kind of that like energetic forward push. And then uh, uh, I also definitely think that, like you've also heard like some of my funk mixes where they're like really dark and Wolfpecky, really yeah. mellow and like really smashed to hell and, and just fun. You've definitely heard some of that stuff. So it's, it's kind of like all over the place, but at the same time, there's similarities and consistency. So is that, I definitely think that every... Mixer. What about yourself? Sorry, let me go back. What mm -hmm. about yourself, Lou? I don't you, know. I'm my worst mastering, judge. Even, even with just mastering, mm -hmm. just mastering, not, not mixing, not producing, not sorry, anything else, just mastering, have you changed in the last six months? Yeah, a touch. absolutely. Um, you know me. I'm much more of a leave it natural kind of guy or make it sound open and things of that nature. Um, I want to make the mix sound exciting. Whatever that means. It doesn't always mean vocals forward or transients forward or anything. It, The thing that I usually do is I give the mix a sense of uh, energy behind it. Like, I came from rock, and rock is nothing about feel or anything. It's it's all about, like, you want to go see it live. You want to feel like you're actually able to, like, play guitar alongside it and really smile when you play alongside it. It's all about the feel. Song. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. always going to be about the feel, but, like... I want to bring back that emotion that I had listening to my favorite bands, learning how to play guitar, really wanting to be involved, really wanting to join a band. If it if it's not emotionally capturing, which whatever that means, um, then it's not good enough for me. So when it comes to mastering, it's not about changing their mix, but really emphasizing what really caught my attention about it. And I so and the thing is the point going back to the point here is is that you've changed your workflow and, and your preferences yeah. in the last six months. Yeah. Could you even say that within the last two months? Yeah, I could say that about the last week. <laughs> there you go. So I think that's one of the things as well is that, is it possible? Let's say, I know, I guess it would be possible to stay consistent for years on end, mm -hmm. right? But is that the best thing? Is no. it better for engineers to adapt and change, or is it better to find a sound that you're really good at and stay that sound? It's better to adapt and change within your own realm. Okay. You don't have to go to your neighbor's house and try to eat their food. 
you can like what they're serving. You can take the little pieces that you like of their dishes and adapt it into your own, but you don't have to eat their same food. So completely revolutionizing yourself year after year after year is not necessarily the case. It's more about how to improve yourself because you're only, what is it that everybody always says? You're only in competition with yourself. Yeah. Well, the reality is if you want to be the best version of you, stop trying to follow everybody else's innovations and just see what it is that you like about it and how it would fit your own. Um, with that said, like you said, uh, you were, you know, looking for what is it that's changed in my mastering? Your speakers changed a lot, but your mixing didn't change a lot. But you're listening what you're listening for in what room you're in has changed. So you've actually picked up a lot more technique in how to critically listen which has actually resulted in better mixes, better depth control and all that. You've actually learned to identify what it is that you're looking for when listening to certain monitors, which is something that I could say that was not the case a year and a half ago. For sure. So with that, your mix is going to improve either way. Yeah, and I, and I do think this is the thing that we want to encourage. Um, I think I tweeted this the other day. Which is just a thought that I had. That Lou is handsome? Yeah, yeah. Lou is handsome. That's I what like I that tweet. <laughs> no, I tweeted, and I don't think that this is, I'm going to segue into this, but I tweeted, entrepreneurship is just being a professional mistake maker. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think that the value of trying, I think it's very valuable. And the reason why we want to try to change and adapt our sound always is because as we experiment, as we try different things, whether or not it actually sounds better. Like, I, I think it's just as valuable to do something and to later find out that didn't sound better as, as it is as valuable to find you do something and later find out, oh, that sounded great. I think it's equally as valuable. Yeah, honestly speaking, like, I think most of us are learning the tricks of what we did in the mix are literally us maybe doing too much of it on somebody else's mix in the past, which at that point, I'm sorry, people, if I ever made a mistake on your mix or trying something new, I'm, my bad. You should have asked for a revision, so that's on you. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, But that being said... But you helped me grow. Yeah, no, and I think that that's part of it too. Like, There's a lot of mixes that I've done that weren't as good. That they the even later like, in the career yeah, the artists like yeah even later even I would say even now there's I listened to a mix I did four years ago and I was like wow that that was pretty good how did I not remember about yeah, this and mix? I've definitely done that too where I go yeah. back and like oh this is gonna suck and I listen back and it's like actually that was pretty good <laughs> yeah lie. it's like I can dance to this right now hold up <laughs> so I think that it's also impossible to expect yourself to be able to do a good mix every single time this is something that I've talked about on the stream before I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast but on the stream um, I've talked about how even among professional Grammy-winning mix engineers. Not every mix is going to be a hit. I'm sorry. It's, it's just not going to. I really like what, uh, who was it? Uh, somebody had brought up a conversation that they had with John Costelli about how uh, they were, I guess, hanging out or whatever. I forget what the context was, but John had gotten notice that his mix wasn't selected, that they went with another engineer. And his reaction to that was like, well, can't win them all. Yeah. That's it. Oh, well. And, and I think that's actually a really beautiful mindset. No matter what you do is you can't be devastated by the one loss or the small thing that even if it wasn't even a loss, but you felt like it was like, for example, the client liked the mix, but you yourself weren't satisfied with it. I don't think it's a good idea to get like devastated by that and let that affect your next one. You know, I actually thought about sending somebody a revised mix to a song that was on their album. That I just personally wasn't confident with, but then I started seeing, um, I guess, on they uploaded it to SoundCloud, and a bunch of people were like, oh my god, I love the vibe of this record. Like, I like the way it crunches. It makes me feel nostalgic, this and that. And I was like, 
I actually wanted to correct that crunch. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Personal taste versus what actually works for the record is two different things. Yeah. And I think part of our growth is identifying that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that those are some good thoughts about like similarities and differences between mixes. Um, and I really hope that this helps you. If you're interested in learning more about mixing, you can go to mixmusicpodcast.com, check out all of our other episodes. We have over 150 other episodes. Lou and I are on Twitch. You can go again, you can go to twitch.tv backslash master by Lou. Lou is on Twitch every Monday night at 6 PM streaming. Um, are you doing that today? Unfortunately, not today. January 17, I will not be live in, uh, streaming live at 6, mainly because we have uh, a session. We, just, we have a session. I just did a complete computer swap uh, in Studio oh, A. Oh, it's not set up yet. So my setup at home is actually completely unplugged. So I may be able to stream some Pokemon. Who knows? But uh, that's not mixing. Yeah, uh, so-, so maybe I'll try to jump on and do... Uh, you know what? Maybe after this, I'll go buy a green screen and <laughs> see if I can set up the GoPro at home. So twitch.tv backslash masterbyloof. If you follow him, then you can get notified whenever he goes live. Same thing with me. Twitch.tv backslash DK Mixes. I stream every Monday afternoon for the podcast and then Thursday mornings and Fridays mornings for a couple hours each day. Um, check it out. Um, we, we have a lot of content in store, and we are talking about content earlier today, which uh, I may, we may talk about in the next episode because I have an idea for the next episode. Um, but on that note, really grateful for anybody that's come through. If you're listening on Spotify or on Apple Music, please leave a five-star rating. If you're on Apple specifically, uh, please leave just a couple words comment as you do so. That really helps a lot. The, when you rate us five stars, that really helps the podcast grow. It's a free way of supporting the channel and helping us grow. So we thankful for any we're thankful for anybody that dropped by. Um, if you're interested in any of our sponsors, anything anytime that you purchase anything or check out or use any of the links from mixingmusicpodcast.com and click on the sponsors tab, um, we get a little bit of kickback. So that's another way of supporting the show. We appreciate anybody that stopped through, subscribes, like and follow, whatever, all that jazz. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. <laughs>
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.